The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hi, this is Steve. So, I prep for this week's Cinephiles by sitting down and watching a movie with my whole family. Something I wasn't able to do with movies like Goodfellas, Apocalypse Now, or Reservoir Dogs. But this week's Cinephiles is a perfect family movie, and I can't tell you how excited I was to share it with mine. However, one thing I didn't expect was how often my five-year-old son Jackson, who was sitting on my lap, would turn around and ask, Dad, are you crying? To which, of course, the answer was, yes. The truth is there are very few movies that make me cry more consistently than Frank Capra's 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. This is both John and my all-time favorite Christmas movie, and the only one I can think of that qualifies as one of the truly great films. In fact, AFI ranks it number 11 on their list of the 100 greatest American films of all time. For its unique story, its performances, and most of all, its powerful message about sacrifice, kindness, and the true nature of heroism. There is, in my opinion, no better holiday movie, and no movie we need more today than this one. It's available on YouTube with ads, for rental on iTunes, and there's a pretty good Blu-ray. Of course, for those of you who want to watch this movie the way we used to back in the day, NBC is broadcasting the film at 8 p.m. on Christmas Eve. So, that's It's a Wonderful Life, this Friday on an all-new Cinephiles. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Well, if I wasn't born, who am I? You're nobody. You have no identity. Oh, what do you mean, no identity? My name's George Bailey. There is no George Bailey. You have no papers, no cards, no driver's license, no 4F card, no insurance policy. They're not there either. What? Zuzu's petals. You've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like without you. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, its history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I am a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. I'm John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist and host of numerous shows on camera and behind the mic uh, and an occasional actor. Uh, <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I'd like to say that. So so uh, it's Christmas time yes. for the cinephiles, and we are going to do my favorite Christmas movie, bar none. Well, the show's favorite Christmas movie, because it's actually my favorite Christmas movie as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of, there are great Christmas movies out there. Yes. There's Miracle on 34th Street, and there's Christmas Story, and there's Scrooge. Scrooge. Love Actually. Love, love Actually. Die Hard. Die which Hard. we talked about. By the way, Die Hard, also one of my favorite Christmas movies. Top five. Absolutely. But this one, I hope all of you know that we're going to talk about Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. It's 1946. Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed. This is the top one. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And, and for me, this is the only Christmas movie that qualifies as one of the greatest films of all time. Agreed. Yeah. It is, it is an unbelievably great movie. How, John, how did you first come to this film? Well, I think I came to it like uh, most people from my generation as a kid. It was on all the time. Before, I don't know, before they sold the rights to NBC, I think you could, you could any network could play it. So I, used to, I remember watching it for the first time and loving it, and I would watch it over and over and over again. Because when I was a kid, if I loved a movie, I watched it over and over and over again. I remember watching this 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, watching it, and I would catch it on Channel 20. I'd catch it on the PBS channels. I'd catch it on the regular channels. Like I would catch all the stuff there in D.C., Virginia, and it was so – I enjoyed it every single time I watched it. And I never owned it until last year. Because really? I kind of like the I kind of like the joy of discovering it or scheduling time to sure. watch it. There was something about it, and I also enjoyed the times when the many years where you could just watch it all the time during Christmas. Um, I had the same experience, and part of what happened was is it, it played all the time, and the reason was was that the rights had lapsed. Yes, and it was because it was owned by the uh, Frank Capra had formed a company, Liberty Films, and that's who made this. And then this kind of broke Liberty Films, and that mm-hmm. was the end of Liberty Films. And then who owned the rights went into sort of a controversy. And it just became anyone could play it. And it's also why Ted Turner got to uh, colorize the film. Um, And and so this is one. There were a few movies, late 80s, I think, where there was a few movies. This one, Casablanca, a few others that were colorized. And it is... Rich people, man. Yeah, it's it's a travesty. Damn travesty. Although it's funny. This morning I just went, I'm going to look at the colorized a little bit. They do a pretty good job. Stop it. No, I, I, I think it's impressive what they did. But what they did was wrong. Yes. And the reason it's wrong is because, and this is, is that there's this idea that happened that color film is better. If mm-hmm. they could have done it in color, they would have. Well, right. this movie was made in 1946. There have been color films for mm-hmm. eight or nine years. Right. Color film from you know the time of Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind until the mid-60s was a choice. Yeah. You would just decide this should be color, this should be black and white. After the mid-60s, everything became color. Mm -hmm. It very rarely do black and white. And that's really sad. And so the idea that there's something wrong with this amazing movie Mm because it's not in color is like you're basically taking the the art out of the hands of the director and the cinematographer and all mm-hmm. the people that worked on it that made it a beautiful black and white film. Yeah, and I feel like maybe this was done because the ratings of it were down on certain networks or whatever, but they didn't think, well, it's because you can get to watch it all the time anywhere you want. Right. And, and so they thought, well, this is, we'll make it an event thing. Like, they colorized, I think, The Wizard of Oz as well. They tried to colorize The Wizard of Oz. No, that's a joke. No, I think so. I no, The Wizard of Oz is in color. No, but the, I mean the, the part opening. that sepia tone, they tried to color that as well, right. I think. I, I think I think uh, that was a joke. I remember right. that too, but I think that was a joke. <laughs> All right, if you say so. But I just remember it being a trend for these movies, and they chose these classic films as if classic films need to be colorized right. somehow to be accepted by the modern audience, which yeah. was the, st- the stupidest things ever in the, on the planet. And I, well, I tried watching it one time, the colorized version of this, yeah. and I just felt like throwing up the whole time because this is not how this film should no. be appreciated. There's no. there's a reason. That fact that it should remain in black and white because it evokes another time. It evokes a time, a different time in Americana, a different time in Americana, a different time in our world, in our country's history. Well, and that's the intention of the artists who made it. Yes, they said, "Let's shoot this in black and white." Yeah. They had, they, he could have shot it in color. Sure, Capra made other movies in color in the forties. Yeah, um, he didn't make this one in color. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted so we talked about Frank Capra. Gave a lot of history of him in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Yes. So if you want to know more about Frank Capra, he's one of the great filmmakers, great directors of all time. Time, has an amazing story. Yeah. Go check out our Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Uh, we're not going to repeat that here. But who I do want to talk about is Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. So we, J- Jimmy Stewart you know, was in Mr. Smith. We didn't give a lot of background of his character. Mm-hmm. He's a really interesting guy. So first of all, uh, his family background, his family 
was in the United States before the revolution. He has ancestors who fought in the Revolutionary War, and he comes up from a family with a tremendous military tradition. Mm -hmm. Family who fought in the Revolutionary War. He had ancestors who fought in the War of 1812, in the Civil War, in the First World War. And uh, Jimmy Stewart, the expectation was that he was going to go into the military. But his father wanted him to get an education. He went to, I think it's Princeton. Mm. Um, His father owned a hardware store, I think, and and pushed for his son to get an education. He was an excellent architect Mm -hmm. to the point where they were encouraging him to go to grad school to become an architect. But that's where he started to get the theater bug. Goes to Broadway, becomes an actor on Broadway in the early 30s. Becomes a star on Broadway. His best friend and roommate, also acting on Broadway, is Henry Fonda. Huh. And they maintain a friendship throughout their lives. That makes sense. Yeah, Henry Fonda gets discovered first and goes to Hollywood first. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart is in a big play. I don't remember the name of it. Also a hit. He he gets the call to broad uh, to go to Hollywood. Uh, gets picked up at the train station by his buddy Henry Fonda. They again move in together. Um, and he becomes a bit player at MGM. And this is during the height of the studio system. Yeah. And the way it, and the way this worked was you would become a contract player, completely different from the way Hollywood works today, yeah. which is you would get hired and you would work for MGM and you had no choice about the movies you were in. Yeah. And they would pl- MGM would just plug you into this movie and this movie. So he, gets, he was getting $350 a week. Which is pretty good money, yeah, it's good money. in 1935 sure. or so. And uh, he gets plugged into one movie, a bit part here, a bit part here, moves up to supporting parts. No real big success until he's getting decent success in, in sort of supporting roles. And then Frank Capra sees him and goes, this is who I want for You Can't Take It With Me, mm-hmm. which is his first, this is his first break. It wins Oscar for Best Picture. It also has Lionel Barrymore in a completely different role from what we're going to see in... Uh, uh, it's a wonderful life, right? A fantastic. By the way, I really love. Uh, you can't take it with you. Have you seen it? Not yet. No. Yeah. So okay. I love it. It makes me happy. If I'm sad, I'm going to watch. You can't take <laughs> it. With you. Wow. Okay. It just. I don't think it's a perfect. I don't think it's at the level of Mr. Smith. Yeah. Or Meet John Doe. Or uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. But it really makes me. And it has some of that same Capra. Is philosophy. it on Netflix or did you find or do you own it? I think I own it. Okay. Yeah. I okay. think I bought it. Okay. Um, it's not on Netflix. Okay. I don't think. Anyway, it's really good. Okay. Um, and the next movie, and that's 1938. Uh, and then Capra goes in 1939. The yeah. next year I'm going to do Mr. Smith. Mm-hmm. Originally he was thinking about Gary Cooper for it and then changed his mind and said, let's do Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. And this is where, and suddenly Jimmy Stewart is huge. So it happens really fast. Like he comes to Hollywood in 35, 36, and 38, he's in You Can't Take It With You. 39, he, he wins the Oscar for Mr. Smith, I yeah. think. Or maybe, no, he's nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. And in 40, then it's Philadelphia Story where he wins an Oscar. And then we get to World War II. Yeah. And in World War II, Jimmy Stewart does an amazing thing, which a bunch of famous people did at the time. He enlists in the military. Can you imagine that happening now? The only one I could think of that's similar now is Pat Tillman. You know, Pat well, Tillman sure, but I mean, could you player. imagine Hollywood actors no. signing up to go fight in a theater of war? Uh, I, I can't. It just wouldn't happen. And it was a ton of them. It was, yeah. you know, it Gary was Cooper? Gary Cooper did. Yeah. Uh, I think Clark Gable did. Uh, Ronald Reagan, of course, did. Yeah. Uh, and the directors, John Ford, Frank yes. Capra, like all these guys. And what they wanted from Jimmy Stewart was go do USO shows, go recruit mm-hmm. troops, go raise money. And he didn't want to do it. He had been obsessed with planes since... Lindbergh uh, flew across the ocean, and he wanted. And he became a pilot in the mid '30s, 
and got his pilot's license, apparently a really good pilot. And he said, I want to be in the Air Force, what was at the time the Army Air Corps, mm-hmm. um, and finally got in. And then again, they wanted to have him on the base. They wanted to have him. They didn't want to send him to combat. He said, finally, in 1943, he pushes his way to go to combat. He trains on B-24s. It's a B-24 pilot. Yeah. Flew mission after mission after mission in North Africa and then into Europe. Became the squadron commander. Was promoted to lieutenant colonel. Right. Flew missions over Berlin. Received the Distinguished Service Cross twice. Yeah. Received the uh, Distinguished Flying Medal, I think, with bronze clusters. These are big awards. Yeah. Became a lieutenant colonel. Was running whole squadrons. Was and, and while he was then running a whole, but was a base commander. I mean, this is like not this is not bullshit military yeah. service. He yeah. was a genuine military hero. He continued to fly. Uh, secretly, because he wanted to continue to to serve in missions, even though he wasn't supposed to. So he's like Captain Kirk at this point. You know what I mean? Um, becomes a full colonel. Betting women all over the place. Yeah, I don't I know don't about know. that. Yeah, he's that's a pretty pure guy. Yeah, you I don't can't think have that... Kirk without that. Like, Fair enough. <laughs> um, and then after World War II ends, he was really nervous about getting back into acting. Mm-hmm. He's like, maybe I can't do this anymore. So he became a co-founder of Southwest Airlines. Wow. Because he thought, maybe I'm just going to be in... A pilot in, right. in the airlines. He continued his military service through Vietnam, retired as in the reserves, retired as a brigadier general. Wow. Yeah. Highest ranking actor of all time in the brigadier US military. Brigadier General James Stewart. Yep. Wow. And he kept this completely separate yeah. from his acting life. He continued in the reserves to go do service every year. He actually flew. He didn't fly a combat mission over Vietnam, but he right. fl- flew ob- observation missions over Vietnam wow. in 1966. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Insane. Yeah. And, and, and this is where I was like, oh, Jimmy Stewart is, in addition to being a movie hero, yeah. he's an actual hero. Yeah. And kind of a badass. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, and this, by the way, for a guy who was too skinny to get in the military, he had to go to the, he got rejected twice in 1941 mm-hmm. and had to go to the MGM trainer and said, we got to put nine pounds on me of muscle <laughs> and train for, then came back and it was actually admitted into the military. Nice. Yeah. Amazing story. So in mm-hmm. 1946... It's a Wonderful Life is his first movie back after wow. the war. Wow. Yeah. One last thing about Jimmy Stewart is that so his acting career comes back and he actually becomes well known as a Western actor mm-hmm. and his association with Hitchcock and yeah. movies like Vertigo and uh, Rope and yeah. Man Who Knew Too Much. His Western stuff, uh, Winchester 73, Broken Out. These are great Man things. Shot Liberty Valley. If you don't know Jimmy Stewart's Western work, even as he got older, yeah. it's great stuff. Yeah, he's great. And what's interesting is that so he started as a contract player at MGM. And he is actually part of breaking the studio system because in the late 50s, early 60s, he switches his agents to Lou Wasserman. Hmm. And Lou Wasserman, we'll probably talk about him other times in the Cinephiles, a really important uh, Hollywood figure. He's a super powerful agent. Okay. And they offer Jimmy Stewart a deal. I think it's on a John Ford movie. And they say, here, this is the money we want to play, pay you for the movie. And Wasserman says, no, he's going to work for a percentage of the picture Ooh, and wow. a producer credit. And this is the first time this has ever happened. And that moment, and he gets the deal for a lot of money, mm-hmm. and the movie's a big hit. And from that point forward, that's what actors start to want. And <laughs> actors starting to want percentages yeah. is what begins the death of the studio system. It breaks the contract player system. Right. The old uh, studio folks are going to, going out. And Lou Wasserman becomes the head of Universal at a certain point. Wow. And that is, in, as we move into the 60s, the studio system is dying. Yeah. And the system that, it, in some ways, we still have today, where agents and actors have so much power, starts with Jimmy Stewart and Lou Wasserman. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, it's an amazing story. It is. Um, what an interesting film to come back 
yeah. with too. Now, this is the thing people forget. This is not a happy film. This is a kind of very dark film, and it's especially art. coming out of the war, you know. And it wasn't well received in the theaters. It wasn't no. like it, it kind of flopped, and it found a it's second not quite life. A flop, but it's 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 not a success. Yeah, not a success. Yeah. It kind of found a second life later on, obviously. But like the film itself, for a a a a, a country coming out of the post, like uh, best years of our lives, is another one that's very dark. So well, that's what it lost the Oscar to, right? Exactly. Yeah. These things that are coming out right after the war, it's really interesting that the, the the country does that because you would think coming out of a war it's more about like being happy and being we survived we killed the nazis blah, well blah, blah. i think that's why it didn't do well yes i think i think it took time for us to i don't think people were willing it's funny you think about capra everyone thinks about oh it's sentimental and it's sweet yeah, yeah. it's like no it's a wonderful life is hard yeah it is not say great things about humans it says mm -hmm. humans have the potential yes. for great things but it says a lot of hard things about humans mm -hmm. um let's talk a little about where the story came from sure so it's a short story writer whose name i, I don't have in front of me okay. he wrote the short story no one would buy it he couldn't sell it so what he finally did was he printed his short story on uh christmas cards and printed like a thousand of them and sent them out to all his friends wow yeah and that's how people for it was i forget the name of the short story it wasn't called it's a wonderful life mm -hmm. rko saw it they bought it for ten thousand dollars they wrote, which is pretty good for this guy, yeah, couldn't so sell a short story. So. They had three screenplays written by top screenwriters. None of them worked. A few years comes by. The war ends. Capper comes back. Hears about the property. He buys it from RKO for $10,000. Mm. He writes it in two weeks, apparently, with Goodrich and Hacker. Uh, they rewrite the script. Mm -hmm. There was no Potter in the original short story. So many of the details of the town. All that Capperness gets yeah. put in at this point. Um, originally, he's thinking maybe Gary Cooper's going to play the part. Then again, decides on Jimmy Stewart. And he wants to put Gene Arthur in yeah. against him. But Gene Arthur's doing a Broadway play. He goes to Ginger Rogers to play the Don to play Mary. She's like, I don't want to do that. Wow. Too 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 sweet for me. Uh and then they go to this, you know, again, a contract player, Donna Reed, who mm -hmm. no one had heard of. And man, she yeah. was amazing in this right. film. Absolutely amazing in the film. The production is actually a pretty expensive production. They shoot on the RKO backlot and they built on four acres all of Bedford Falls. That's all a movie set. Wow. It's they built 75 storefronts. They the trees, mm -hmm. all of that stuff is constructed. It's a fairly big production. And they shoot the movie and finish it, as Capra usually did, on time, on budget. Uh it's a really really smooth production yeah i went to see it uh a couple of years ago at the academy the oscars they, they have a the academy has a uh, building where they show the old movies and they had Fan frank capper the third there and they had on in front of us they had the wind machines that they used and the simulation snow and so they blew it into the audience wow. afterwards in a q a after the, they screened the movie to show us what this was like, or before they screened the movie to show us what this was like and they explained how extensive it was and how like it was like and it was really difficult to create that stuff and how it affected the actors and all this kind of jazz because it was a lot of fake snow that they had Tons. to to put in there and i think it was like tissue paper or cotton or whatever it's it was a combination of things it's like yeah. foam and gypsum and yeah. i have it on a list somewhere yeah it, and it's different it's all that's new for this movie yeah previously when they made snow they had crushed up cornflakes painted white Ah, yes. But the problem with that is that they crunch when you walk on them. Right. And so you would always have to re-record dialogue. And so Capra didn't want that. And so they invented this new technique. And there is a ton of snow Yeah. Uh, in that last sequence. I mean, it's a ton. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and tough to act with. What yeah. he did previously in the movie Lost Horizon, which is an interesting film. I don't yeah. think it's a great film. But it's an interesting film is because they wanted to be in the snow. They shot most of it in an ice house. 
Ooh, so it was actually, you know, 10 degrees because he wanted to see people's breath and he mm-hmm. wanted people to be really cold. He didn't do that for Bedford Falls. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about the movie. Yes, please. So we start <laughs> yes. with prayers. Yes. And then we go to heaven. Yep. And it's weird because it's like we're going. I mean, I don't think I had seen the beginning of the movie because it was on TV all the time. Yeah, yeah, I would yeah. come in in the middle. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I remember and at like 18 watching it from the beginning going, What's this going into space thing? <laughs> um, I love that the angels are stars. And the angels are stars. Yeah. And it's, I don't know if there's dude, any dude, other movie like dude, this. And I love the, the, the blinking of the light as they're talking. It's so great. Yeah. Well, and that, and that Clarence is this little tiny yeah. star that pulls up. And they're talking about this guy that's in trouble, yeah. George Bailey. Yeah. Um, and then we go back in time and see his life. Mm-hmm. And this is, in fact, most of the movie is his life being explained to Clarence, the young angel. Well, and this is very similar to the opening of Citizen Kane. Like we have it. Mm. In, this is in essence, a newsreel about George Bailey's life yeah. so that we, as the audience can immediately gravitate to George Bailey without him saying a word, uh, uh as Jimmy Stewart, we immediately feel for him. He saves his kid brother in the, in the, in the water. He's, you know, hee haw, like all that stuff that he does. We see him as a child and we immediately love the character. That actor who played him as a child. So great. He's great. Before Jimmy Stewart ever shows up, he has laid the groundwork for this character that we as an audience immediately gravitate to and love. And because people in heaven are speaking about this guy and are worried about this guy, it means a lot. Well, and the first thing we see him do is a heroic act. Yes. And, and, and by the way, I'm always fascinated by watching kids in movies of the past. Yeah. Because we see them, we see them, they're sitting on shovels. Yeah. Sliding down an icy bank onto a frozen over river. Yeah. Or pond or something. And uh, would any parent let their kid do this today? <laughs> and not only would no parent let their kid do this today, and we have 11, eight to, you know, seven to 11 year old kids or something. Sure. Out on their own in the woods. Yeah. Does any parent let their kid? Nowadays, no. No. That was my whole existence. Yeah. Yeah. And these in a movie, those kids are actually doing this thing. Yeah. They're not stuntmen. No. You know? And and it's just, I look at that and I go, oh. <laughs> really? Something. Absolutely. That's the filmmaker in you. No, 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 no. I don't mean or I look the dad at the kid. In you. No, I mean, it's the parent. It's the child. It's I don't uh, think we're being good to our kids gotcha. by protecting them like this. Gotcha. I think it was better right. when kids were out having adventures and living their lives and being trusted with responsibility. And, yeah. and of course, sometimes the kids are going to fall through the ice. Right. Um, and then we get to George's job working for Mr. Gower, the druggist. Right. So one thing I should say about this movie is it worked me so much more watching it this time. Wow. Than it ever has before. And I've always loved the movie. Mm-hmm. And and there are two new reasons. And one of them I'll get into right now is this is the first time I think I watched it as a parent. Ah, okay. And so watching George, George and Mr. Gower is the mo- amazing, heroic, yeah. powerful, scary mm-hmm. scene. And what's happening is Mr. Gower, who's played, by the way, by H.B. Warner, who played Jesus in Cecil B. DeMille's... King of Kings, I think, or wow. I the silent you, version, right? The silent movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and you can imagine, like, this guy was Jesus yeah. in 1920 or something, and now, 25 years later, you see him as this old man who's just learned that his son has died of the flu, of the flu, yeah. and uh, he's putting together a prescription for someone, and he gives it to George to deliver it, and George realizes that it's poison. Yeah. And he goes to his father, but his father is meeting with horrible Mr. Potter and is too busy. <laughs> Uncle Billy's too busy and he realizes, I have to deal with this himself. And he tries to tell. And Mr. Gower is upset because George was supposed to deliver the thing and hasn't right. delivered it. And he starts arguing with it. 
And Mr. Gower hits George in the ear, which he has a bad ear from mm-hmm. saving his brother. Mm-hmm. And his ear starts bleeding. And it is brutal. It is brutal. It is brutal It smacks you hard. Didn't you hear what I said? Yes, sir. I... What kind of tricks you bring into it? Why don't you bite into the aluminum right away? Don't you know that boy's very sick? Thank you, my sore ear. And George still doesn't quit and is crying to explain to... It's getting me teared up right yeah, now thinking so about it. To explain true. to Mr. Gower, no, no, you don't want to do it. You made a mistake. You're mm-hmm. going to hurt someone. Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. I know you're really me. You got the telegram and you're upset. You put something bad in those capsules. It wasn't your fault, Mr. Gower. Just look and see what you did. Look at the bottle you took the bottle from. It's poison. I tell you, it's poison. And then Mr. Gower finally penetrates and he looks at it and he tastes the medicine and then he realizes the truth and he goes to hug George and George is still frightened. Please don't hit me again. Yeah. Please don't hit me again. Oh. Don't hurt my story again. Oh, no, don't hurt no, my no. story again. Oh, George. <laughs> George. Oh, Mr. Gower, I would never oh. tell anyone. I know you're oh. feeling. I would have felt so good to die. I would. And he hugs him and he thanks him and... And once again, these are these great moments that happen before we ever see Jimmy Stewart on screen. Yeah. These are this kid is so good at establishing the heroic nature of George Bailey that by the time Jimmy Stewart is on screen, his most of the work to connect with the audience with this particular character has been done. And everything that comes afterwards is us enjoying Jimmy Stewart embodying this character and bringing him to life and taking us to the next levels of this character as he gets older, as he progresses through his life. But this kid does a fantastic job. And that scene is so powerful because yeah. of the way that actor, who you mentioned his name, breaks down and asks, seeks forgiveness from a child yeah. in that moment. A heroic child. And, uh, yeah, a heroic child. And establishes George Bailey's reputation in the town. Well, and, and right? well, I don't know that the town knows. Well, saving his, saving his, saving his, saving his brother, brother, definitely. But then you, I'm sure rumors or whatever gets know. out. Who knows? But we get this idea that he's a heroic, he's just heroic presence. I mean, in the, it's know. a small town, but a heroic presence in the small well, town. And it goes, this goes to the essential darkness of the film. Yes. Is that Gower, Gower at that moment is an extremely dark character. He is beating a kid in the head yeah, yeah. and he's despondent and drunk. And yet we, in the movie, we don't judge him. No. We forgive him, you know, and just as George. George doesn't judge him. Right. George tried to help him. Right. And then we get our introduction of Jimmy Stewart in this great freeze frame. <laughs> and it's always remarkable to me because this is Jimmy Stewart. He's just come back from war mm-hmm. as a colonel flying squadrons. The aging of George Bailey is amazing. Yeah. He plays a great 19, 20-year-old guy mm-hmm. as a 30-something-year-old guy. I want a big one. Yeah. yeah, it's such a great intro. It's wonderful. And he's so young-looking. You're right. It's, I liken it to what happens in Excalibur when you see, I think mm. it's Nigel Terry is the yeah. actor, go from a young uh, Arthur to the old Arthur yeah. who's you know grizzled veteran. Sure. It's, it's very, to me, very similar. Yeah. And uh, we go to meet Harry and his yeah. family and uh, dad in the bank. And George has got plans because the thing we learn over and over again is George wants to travel yeah. and George wants to build things. He wants to build bridges and skyscrapers and big stuff. Yeah. And that is his dream. And George is going to go to college. George is going to go to college first. Then first. Harry's going to run the building or intern at the building alone or whatever right. free. And then and then when George graduates, then Harry's I mean then Harry's going to go to college. Right. And then George is going to go off and do his thing. Right. And then eventually we assume Harry's going to go off and do his thing. Right. And Dad is running this penny ante tiny building alone. Yeah. That's and Dad's a good man, but that's not for George. Right. We know that he wants to get out of this town. Yeah. He respect. And there's a great scene with his dad where he's sort of like. 
disrespects him and then respects him. Yeah. And dad understands. Right. And is sympathetic. It's really a nice. It's scene. universal, right? It's that thing of like your dad is a hardworking man doing a job, but you as the kid, because you've been raised in a in a family that you can do whatever you want you can afford to do whatever you want to a degree you have different ideas you have bigger plans for yourself and this is this is just universal in all fathers to sons you want your sons to have a better life than you had to experience more than you did yeah maybe you're the working stiff so you want your son to go out and see the world but this is kind of different because the dad wants him to stay in the town wants him to kind of establish himself put down his roots proud of what he's done exactly believes in what he's doing and also thinks george is the right person for this job to take over mm. because he knows Harry ain't the guy. It's George. And, th- and then we go off. His heroic and, nature. Yeah, George ends up going to the dance with Harry. Yes. Uh, and we have one of just the great, lovely, romantic, funny sequences. Mm. And, and so they're at this dance and there he sees Mary, who he knew we knew met as a kid. Yeah. And they and it's, it's love at first sight. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is just beautiful. They can't take their eyes off each other. She's loved him from the beginning, we know. Which we saw in the scene in the in the, the ice cream drugs, shop. Yeah, yeah, with her and Violet, who we will yeah. talk to, I'm sure, or talk about, I'm yeah. sure, but also there once again these characters these young children establish these characters and these relationships as we buy into yeah yeah, later as they come up in in adults yeah Yeah. and then uh we have this great sequence where they're doing a dance on the gym floor and open up the pool uh and that pool still exists what it's beverly hills high school oh that's great it's still there it still works yeah this pool under the gymnasium floor it's really funny george and mary end up falling into the pool yes and then we get this lovely sweet romantic Walk mm-hmm. home with George in an oversized football uniform and Mary in a robe being just sexy Donna Reed. Yeah. And there's something, I, I don't know what it is, as wholesome and sweet and also sexy a scene yeah. as I can think of. Yeah. Sir, by train, please. A pox upon me for a clumsy lout. Your, uh, your caboose, me lady. You may kiss my hand. Hmm. Hey. Hey, Mary. And they're flirting and they're joking and they have this obvious massive connection and they're getting close to kissing and then not and they're getting close to kissing and not and there's an old guy who says, Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at a death? How's that? Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at a death? Want me to kiss her, huh? Oh, you just wasted on the wrong people. Hey. Hey, hold on. Hey, mister, come on back out here. I'll show you some kiss that'll put hair back on your head. What do you... Donna Reed runs away. Yes. And Jimmy Stewart is stepping on her robe, and she goes into the bush naked. Naked? That's hot. Yeah. That is a hot scene. Yes, and she plays it off really well because of that innocence and that sweetness. Yep. It doesn't come off as a... Like, if that was Violet, that'd be a whole other vibe. Oh, yeah. But because it's uh, Mary, it's a whole other uh, place. And because... Almost Jimmy Stewart plays with it, which is, and it isn't like some people might say nowadays. It's a bit like, oh, it's mess. It's like you know, it's chauvinistic or misogynistic or what have you. But no, there are these moments that happen between men and women that are sweet and playful. You're not denigrating. You're not insulting her. Yeah. You're, you're flirting, and you're she's walking her. In no way was he going to let her walk out naked. Like no, he respects her, he cares he's about just, her. He's, he's just taking a moment. Yeah, and he has the, This is a very interesting <laughs> situation. <laughs> this is a very interesting situation. Please give me my robe. Hmm. Man doesn't get in a situation like this every day. I'd like to have my robe. Not in Bedford Falls, anyway. Ouch! Oh! Gesundheit. George this requires Bay. a little thought here. Give me my robe. I've read about things like this, but I never... 
Shame on you. I'm going to tell your mother on you. Well, my mother's way up in the corner there. I'll call the police. Well, they're way downtown. They'd be on my side, too. And then just as we're... She's about to reach her limit, and we're at that point where it might get a bit creepy or rapey. The car shows up, and his father's had a heart attack. And it's such a great moment because... Yeah, it's a stroke, but yeah. yeah. The, oh, sorry, the stroke. And, and George Bailey throws the robe to Mary and says, I got to go, because he does respect her. And Mary coming out of the bushes... And her face... So powerful, man. Beautiful. Yep. And, this is, and this is the pattern we're going to see throughout the movie. Yes. Is George is about to be happy. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Because George, and this is the thing about him, he is a hero. Yeah. In, in a way that I don't know of other heroes in movies, is that he's the real deal. Like most heroes, like, you know, John McClane, we don't get in those kinds of situations and die. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what, what this is, is that he has, he, this is what he wants. Yeah. And he's really close to getting it and know he's going to make the sacrifice and do what is right. Yeah. And what is right is that Potter, who we haven't talked about yet, Lionel Barrymore, in, one, in a great villain. Yeah. Great, great evil Scrooge like nasty vicious old man who's only interested in money and yeah. only and doesn't care about humans or it doesn't care about the poor is just going to screw everyone he can right. he's about to take over the savings and loan and if he takes over the savings and loan he is going to have more and more power in the town and the town's going to get worse and worse and the yeah. savings and loan is one of the things or the building and loan is one of the things keeping people from falling into poverty and despair yeah Peter Bailey was not a businessman that's what killed him. Oh, I don't mean any disrespect to him. God rest his soul. He was a man of high ideals, so-called. But ideals without common sense can ruin this town. <laughs> now, you take this loan here, the Ernie Bishop. You know, that fellow that sits around all day on his brains in his taxi, you know. I happen to know the bank turned down this loan. But he comes here... And we're building him a house worth $5,000. What does that get us? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. And all because a few starry-eyed dreamers like Peter Bailey stir them up and fill their head with a lot of impossible ideas. Now, I say... Just a minute. Just, just a minute. Now, hold on, Mr. Potter. Just a minute. Now, you're right when you say my father was no businessman. I know that. Why he ever started this cheap penny ante building alone, I'll never know. But neither you nor anybody else can say anything against his character because his whole life was... Why, in the 25 years since he and Uncle Billy started this thing, he never once thought of himself. Isn't that right, Uncle Billy? He didn't save enough money to send Harry to school, let alone me. But he did help a few people get out of your slums, Mr. Potter. And what's wrong with that? Well, here, you're all businessmen here. Don't it make them better citizens? Doesn't it make them better customers? You, you said that they, what'd you say just a minute ago? They, they had to wait and save their money before they even thought of a decent home? Wait, wait for what? Until their children grow up and leave them? Until they're so old and broke them down? That they, they, you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book. I'm talking about the building and loan. I know very well what you're talking about. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on, and it's galling you. That's what you're talking about, I know. He just was going there to have... To say goodbye. To say goodbye, signs, like, you all do what you want, like, you know, and then... 
And then Barrymore keeps pushing. Potter keeps pushing. Yep. And Potter pushes one comment too many, which causes George to fight back, which is his heroic nature again coming through and saying to him, and, and to his detriment, this is what's so interesting about his heroic nature. It is to his detriment, to his actual desires and needs and wants, it is to his detriment, but he cannot resist it because it is in his nature. Yep. You know, and so he, and I love that there's that moment where he, def he defies Potter. And we see his growing maturity. Yeah. Like, like he's still a young man, yeah. but we see the power and the intelligence and the passion behind yeah. it in that speech. And he walks out and then the people who run the building loan come out and say, hey, we made a deal. We saved the building loan, but you have to stay. And then the music cue. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, and you see his face fall, mm -hmm. but he also, you know he's going to do the right thing because yep. that is what George Bailey does. Right. He's going to do the right thing. And then we go back to the angels or we go, we go back to heaven where he's like, a George Bailey stayed, didn't he? He's like, yeah, he stayed and ran the thing and Harry went off to college and blah, blah, blah. And so we get that constantly, uh, this idea that he's doing all the right things and it is, it is what's building to what happens to him later, right. the breakdown that happens later. We get a great slow build throughout the whole film in these amazing scenes. Well, and then, and so it ends up that Harry goes to college, not George, right. and that George stays. And now Harry's coming back from college, and it's great because George is finally going to get to go yeah. and travel and go to engineer and do all these things. And right, because we had had that setup, which we haven't talked about, Uncle Billy. Uncle Billy oh, yeah. talking to George there at the train, and he says, what are the three... But you know what the three greatest sounds are? And he goes, yes, breakfast is ready, lunch is ready, dinner is ready. Yeah. No, it's train whistles, ship, ship, ship horns, right, or yeah. whatever, and, and, and a plane sounds or something yeah. like that. And so it's like that idea of travel. For him, is a big deal to travel, travel, travel. Then Harry gets off the train, and this woman gets off the train with him, who's beautifully lovely and yeah. sweet. And this is his wife, because he right. got married. And she mentions that her dad, who's probably pretty successful has offered Harry a job and Harry's so great. And you watch Jimmy Stewart's face fall. Yeah. And the, and, and the happy crowd walks away and he's left alone and it is crushing, absolutely crushing. And Harry's kind of a jerk for doing what he did. I mean, Harry is kind of a jerk. Like he could, he, I mean, he could have come up, he could have sent the letters back going, Hey, I met this girl. Hey, I think yeah. I might take this job. Hey, I might do this. But because he's one of these guys that gets, he, he'd rather get forgiven than get permission. Yeah. He kind of screws George a little bit, but George what, has he, to do yeah. it. He does what a lot of people do, which yeah. is like, he says, I don't have to take the job. I won't do it. If yes. You but what, what that is, is I'm going to put it on you. You're right. Knowing the decision George is probably going to make. Because he lingers. He goes, I, but, I, but I would like to talk to you. And when he says, but I would like to, that's the moment where you know Harry doesn't actually mean what he's saying about yeah. not taking the job. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then George goes and talks to the wife yeah. and asks, like, is this, how is this really yeah. good? And you could see when she's saying, no, no, it's really, it's really a good thing. And you know George has already made this decision. Yeah. And then we spent, he is depressed. I mean, really down. Yeah. Whole party's going on around him. He goes off on a walk. Uh, his his mom is pushing him towards Mary. Go see Mary. Go see Mary. Go see Mary. <laughs> and he doesn't do it. And that he goes to town. And we run into Violet, who yeah. and she who is this sort of flirty, bossy girl. With Gloria Graham. Before. She is, and she is. She's a dangerous woman. She's a beautiful woman. She's beautiful. Yeah, that's my problem in life. I like those women a lot more than the, the regular, relaxed, safe women. Uh, those women excite me you so like much. You like Violets more than Marys? Oh, uh, yeah. It's a sad. I want to be. A, I want to have a Mary, but the Violets just, they get to me sometimes. Yeah. And there's this great moment where she, there are all these guys <laughs> after her. Yeah. And then she sees uh, George Bailey, who she's in love with, obviously. Yeah. She goes, well, I'd rather go spend time with you. And he says, do you? And then she says, yeah. And he says, let's go crazy tonight. She goes, great. And then he goes, let's go out into the woods and take off our shoes and walk through that and she's and watching her face like what are you talking about <laughs> yeah, right. 
Like, and then she, he's just crazy. Yeah, because her version of crazy is not his version of crazy. Right. And then, and then George leaves her and ends up back and walks by Mary's house and goes into Mary's house. And we have what is one of my favorite scenes of all time. Yeah. This scene is George is angry mm-hmm. and depressed and hates his life and this is again this is the darkness of the film right is that he does the heroic thing but he's not happy no because he feels trapped yeah that he has to do it because it's in his nature to do it and no one seems to understand no and even when he has that interaction with mary he begrudgingly like he loves her he knows he loves her but he's she's just, part of the trap right that's what i'm saying he, it's, he's almost angry at her when he has that scene because he knows if he marries her, he has to stay in this freaking town and build his life. And damn it, why did it have to be her? Well, and, and something we maybe should have talked about is there was a weird way in which Mary, in fact, did trap him. And, and well, this, yeah, with the Buffalo Girls and well, all not of that. just that is that is that they go to this old house. Yes, and and yeah. you can throw a rock at this old house and right. make a wish. And George throws a rock and makes a wish, and then and he says, oh, "I want to travel." Yeah. And then she throws a rock. Breaks a piece of glass and makes a wish. And George says, what did you wish for? <laughs> and we know what she wished for. Right. She wished that George is going to stay right here and be her husband. Yep. And if we believe in magical things, and this movie does believe in magical things, yeah. she cursed him. Yeah, well, <laughs> I guess I'm you're just right. saying. But in a bad way. No, it's not, it's, she loves him. Yeah, and she's great to him. And she's and, a good wife. And she's so excited when he comes in the house because she loves him. And she's yeah. essentially saying... I love you. Yeah. She's playing the song from that Buffalo Girls. She's playing, she has George Lasso's The Moon. Yeah. She has all these things, and George is having none of it, and he's being mean and yeah. nasty. You know, I, I didn't come here to... What did you come here for, then? I don't know. You tell me. You're supposed to be the one that has all the answers. You tell me. Why don't you go home? That's where I'm going. I don't know why I came here in the first place. Good night. Good night. And then they get the call from Sam Wainwright, and Sam Wainwright yeah. is their rich friend who is... We, we believe, or George believes, is in love with Mary. Yeah. Sam's got a girl on the side, by the way. But Of course, always. And he's offering this big deal. And one of the interesting things, uh, Jimmy Stewart was really nervous about playing this scene. He hadn't done it. He'd been at war. Mm-hmm. And he, this is going to be his first kiss, his first romantic scene. And he was really nervous about it. Yeah. And went to Capra's like, I don't know if I can do this. And what Capra did, originally, they were on two different phones. And Capra put them on one phone, so they'd be in this one shot. So they're listening to, and it is amazing. They're listening to Sam Wainwright talk, and they're just start looking at each other. And there's this intensity and this sexuality. I think in this scene, this I mean, the the chemistry between them is off the charts. And then he drops the phone and he grabs her and he yells at her. Right, Mary. Well, I'm here. Chance of a lifetime, do you hear? The chance of a lifetime. He says it's the chance of a lifetime. Now, you listen to me. I don't want any plastics. I don't want any ground floors. And I don't want to get married ever to anyone. You understand that? I want to do what I want to do. And you're... And you're... George, George, George. It's like, I'm not going to do this. I don't want, no one's going to tell me what to do. And I'm not going to be stuck here. And I'm going to live my life. And I'm never going to get married. And I'm never going to get married. Right. And it is intense. And then they kiss. Yeah. And apparently they drop like a page of dialogue. <laughs> Good. Because it and works. And the script supervisor came up and said, well, you got to do it again. You got a page of dialogue. And Capra was like, no. Now we're good. We're good. Yeah. And it was, it's, it's such a great moment because she understands now the power of him, right? She, 
she's all, he's always been kind of unattainable to her in certain ways. I think ways. she already understood. Well, I think I don't yeah. think she's surprised. I think she understands. Okay, but, I, because the way he comes in, like she, he's like really angry, and then she she pushes back against him. Oh yeah, and shatters the record, and then he comes back. To, he's I forgot my hat, and, and there's the whole thing, and you get that whole back and forth. But she's not. He also had a hat problem. Mister Smith goes to Washington. That's true, way. but she's not like she doesn't give in. You know, she fight, and so when that moment happens on the phone, it's both of them understanding the power of what they have, and I think for her understanding for the first time the power of this attraction oh yeah it's it was not... it was innocent and fun and playful and yes i want him to be my husband but now she understands there's a darkness to him in that moment and oh, yeah. she and i think for the first time she sees it and well, understands yeah and that this is like this is marriage is not a game yeah yeah this is not a sweet romantic thing this yeah. is like you're signing up for something heavy yeah and that and and because it's not just because she could marry sam Wainwright, right be rich right and she's signing up to live with George Bailey and always be poor and always be making sacrifices yeah. and always and that is what she wants. Right. That's what she because Mary's a hero too. Yeah, Mary's yeah. very much a hero in the yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephiles new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, yeah, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. So, um, so they get married yeah. and again, we have the same moment, which is we're going to go on our honeymoon and it's going to be great. And we're going to travel and it's going to be awesome. And there's a run on the bank. Yes. A run on the bank. And again, which I think is staged by Potter because he knows George is getting married and knows George is about to go to honeymoon and he sets this whole thing up. Well, and he take, that's when he takes over the bank. Exactly. And I think he does it on purpose because he knows George is going to be distracted. He's not going to be in town. He's not going to be there. And it only because it's raining. Does stuff happen in a slower type of uh, time frame than Potter might have anticipated? And so all these things conspire. And then George, and, and Donna, to her credit, Mary says, let's go. Let's get out of here. But George can't stop himself. He right. cannot stop himself because he sees these are his people, his, he cares about and his desperation. And they both run back to this building alone with their dowry, in essence, their money they were going to use to go travel and give people from the town money to, to well, and this, tie them over. Know, we don't know that's what's going to... I mean, like, he goes yeah, back. right. We don't know what he's going to do. Again, George Bailey being a hero. Yeah. Like, literally, this is... Not only will this be destroy the building alone, but the people running on the bank, who are his neighbors, yeah. who he cares about, if he gives them what they want, they destroy the bank and dest or destroy the building alone and destroy themselves. Yes. 
And so he has to convince them, no. And there's this amazing, like, please just take away. We're all in this together. Right. And we're all in this together is core Capra belief, mm-hmm. is that we have to work together. That's how we're going to survive. Now, listen to me. I-, I beg of you not to do this thing. If Potter gets a hold of this building and alone, there'll never be another decent house built in this town. He's already got charge of the bank. He's got the bus line. He's got the department stores. And now he's after us. Why? Well, it's very simple. Because we're cutting in on his business. That's why. Because he wants to keep you living in his slums and paying the kind of rent he decides. Joe, you had one of those Potter houses, didn't you? Well, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what he charged you for that broken down shack? Here, Ed, you know, you remember last year when things weren't going so well and you couldn't make your payments? Well, you didn't lose your house, did you? You think Potter would have let you keep it? Can't you understand what's happening here? Don't you see what's happening? Potter isn't selling, Potter's buying. And why? Because we're panicky and he's not, that's why. He's picking up some bargain. Now, we, we can get through this thing, all right. We, we've got to stick together, though. We've got to have faith in each other. But my husband hasn't worked in over a year, and I need money. How am I going to live until the bank opens? I got Dr. Bruce to pay. I need cash. I can't keep Arkin's own faith. I've got to have How much do you need? And Mary comes in and says, I got $2,000. Yeah. Which is their honeymoon money. And that's where she's a hero. Yep. And so all the people start saying, well, I need $100 for this. I need $50 for this. And then this woman comes up, uh, and Frank Capper said, just improvise whatever you want. <laughs> All right, Miss Davis. Could I have seventeen fifty? Bless your heart. Of course you can have it. You got fifty. That's an improv. Wow. Jimmy Stewart didn't know she was going to stay it, and Jimmy Stewart kissing her also an improv. And <laughs> it's a great. lovely, lovely moment in the scene. That's great. And then Jimmy Stewart makes it through the day, and he's almost forgotten that he's gotten married. Right. And then Mrs. Bailey wants you to come home. Yeah. And they take him home, and home is this old house that she loved that they broke the windows in. Right. Boy, that's a lovely scene. And you have Bert and Ernie, which we haven't touched on, which are the the impetus for Bert and Ernie on Sesame Street. The cop, Bert the cop, and Ernie the taxi driver. And they, uh, and it's pouring rain, and they help to create a honeymoon suite, in essence, in this dilapidated house, which they had thrown rocks at when they were, when they were, uh, when they had first met at the pool as, as teenagers. And it's a great callback to this idea that they're going to be together and everything is makeshift. Everything is makeshift, but that's how it is when you're starting out sometimes in a marriage, well, a and, new and, marriage. And you know this is Mary's idea. Yeah, of course you, it is. From like, top to bottom. Again, she's a hero. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this gets me. I get Missy just talking well, about sure. this movie. I'm holding on to it as hard as I can. Yeah. I love yeah. this film so much. Yeah. I, get, I get emotional 30 times by yeah. now. I mean, by the way, there's a little gag in that scene that I just love, which is... Uh, Ernie is being the butler and he tips his hat by leaning back against the wall and forces his hat up and, and Jimmy Stewart kind of looks down and water pours off his hat yeah. and this goes back to Capra being a gag man like as really, a tip as a tip as a, water, tip. As a tip yeah, yeah it's, it's so funny yeah. and they've turned the, the it's it's travel oriented there are these travel mm-hmm. posters right. and there's even this here's the bed you know right you know it's like this is a really in this horrible situation, an unbelievably romantic honeymoon. Yeah. And then we get to see, in the, as we go forward in his life, how George Bailey is changing the town. Yeah. You know, they're making this, it used to be Potter's Field, a cemetery. Yeah. Um, and now it's become this housing development right. for low-income people. And people can own their own homes. He helps Martini, who's the mm-hmm. guy who ends up owning the bar, yeah. to own his own home. And you see that, and, and George and Mary Her has starting to have kids. Right. And we see the family they're building and the friends they're building. But what's so great about this film is the darkness is always lurking behind oh, the corner. Yeah. When Sam Wainwright shows up and he's like, oh, you should have you should have come into pl- like plastics, like I told you, ground floor and blah, blah, blah. You'd have made so much money. And then there's when, when Sam leaves in the car with his mall or whatever you want to say his, that woman he's with is, there's this just quiet 
no talking to each other, walk to the car. Yeah. A resignation of the life they could have had versus the life that they have now. And it's so And there's no question, there's it's no sad. question in the movie that George Bailey is the smartest guy in the film. Yeah, sure. And talented and hardworking. And Sam Wainwright knows that. Yeah. Sam Wainwright, I don't think, has thrown him a bone. I think Sam Wainwright is saying, I think George Bailey would be a huge success yes. anywhere he went. Yes. And he knows it, and we mm -hmm. all know that, and it is... It's not easy no. to go back to, to get in your shitty car and go back to, you yeah. know. Because yeah. later when Potter had offered him the possibility of becoming a partner with him and becoming, and, co and you know, combining forces, and he says, How about the building and loan? Oh, confounded man, are you afraid of success? I'm offering you a three years contract at $20,000 a year starting today. Is it a deal or isn't it? Well, Mr. Potter, I... I, I know I ought to jump at the chance, but I, I just, uh, I, I wonder if it would be possible for you to give me 24 hours to think it over. Sure, sure, sure. You go on home and talk about it to your wife. I'd like to do that. Yeah, yes. then in the meantime, I'll draw up the papers. All right, sir. Okay, George. <sighs> okay, Mr. Potter. Yeah, he really gets to, there's a moment yeah. where he gets seduced by the product, yeah. by the dark side. He's Jesus he, with the devil. That's the devil yeah. tempting in the garden about yeah. you don't have to, you don't have to, or tempting him, you don't have to die. You don't have to be crucified. You could have this whole other life if you wanted to, but he doesn't give in to it. I don't need 24 hours. I, I don't have to talk to anybody. I know right now. And the answer is no, no. Doggone it. You sit around here and you spin your little webs and you think the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, it doesn't, Mr. Potter. In the... In the whole vast configuration of things, I'd say you were nothing but a scurvy little spider. And it was because he almost broke and gave in to him because Sam Wainwright had just visited and he thought about the money they could have been making. Well, and, and by the way, something I always think about, because Potter's Field yeah. is where the name of the cemetery, yeah. and Potter's Field is what has been built over to be these houses. And in one of the books of the Bible, Potter's Field is where Jesus is, Judas is buried. Oh, how interesting. Yeah, so I okay. always think there's a, definitely a Jesus element in this, Yeah, because he's certainly tempted in that moment. Mm -hmm. uh, we got to talk, I think, I think we've almost made it now yeah. to when things get really, really wrong, and we gotta talk about Uncle Billy. Yeah. So this is, I think, the actor we might have talked about most, which is Uncle Billy, yeah. who's Thomas Mitchell. We mm -hmm. talked about him first in High Noon. Yes. We talked about him second in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, yes. where he's great, he is. and now he plays a third part, and all these guys are really different mm -hmm. for a, kind of a quirky character actor, mm -hmm. and um, he's a terrible, he's not a terrible person, <laughs> but he's a terrible drunk, and yeah. he messes a lot of stuff up. Well, this is where I have my personal thing is, in, is interesting, because it comes in as like, I don't always think family over friends. I have, I don't always feel that way. I, I, you, you're not, you don't have to be a slave to family. It's my belief and my, my particular belief. Like Uncle Billy is an idiot, but so for, 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 or, or a sad, sick man. Sure. Okay. Sure. Fine. But either way, you should not be employed at your building and loan. Yeah. That's my point. And his cockiness gets them into trouble because of his misguided attempts in, because he's not that smart to put it in the face of Potter, who is smart, at making money at least. Yeah. It's no secret to make a lot of money if all you want to do is to make a lot of money. It's one of my favorite lines while playing. <laughs> yes, but like... So for those of you listening to Cinephiles, you can figure out what that line's from. <laughs> That's right. A little like, trivia question. Uh, but this, this whole scene, like you don't always have to be tied to family, but it's perfect because it leads to the tragedy of the film. Billy losing that $8,000, you know, and all yeah. of that that happened because it's wrapped up in a newspaper and all this jazz. Because he's an idiot. And he is. Yeah. He is. He screws up so much. And what we know in the alternate timeline where George right. didn't exist, he's an insane asylum. 
Yes, that's right. Is that the only thing that's keeping him is that the the charity and the compassion of this good man, George Mm -hmm. Bailey, Mm -hmm. is what's keeping him around. And maybe this is where maybe he's too compassionate. Well, once again, this is his heroic nature, right? Uh, He would not do it. I I would have cut that guy off a long time ago. No offense to him. I would have cut him off. Like, you you know, the the greater good uh, is served by you not being in this employment at this job. So, so as you said, Uncle Billy loses eight thousand dollars. Not loses it, but because Potter takes it, Potter steals it. He steals it. It's in essence a felony, almost. It's in ten thousand dollars felony. He didn't take. He didn't take it on purpose, but he could have given it. He could have given it back, and that's stealing. And uh, and the bank examiner is here to check the books, and George Bailey is going to go to jail. Yeah, and everything that he has spent his life building is all going to be gone. Yeah. The building and loans going to be gone. Potter's going to take it over. His family, his house, everything. He's going to he's going to be in jail. His life is going to be ruined and you and this movie man mm-hmm. it gets dark. Yeah. I mean really dark. Yep. It is brutal what happens. What happens cuz you see every time happiness and we think we're going to go one way. No, George is going to make a sacrifice. Again, yeah. I think he's going to go one way. George is going to make a sacrifice. And I think at this moment, the weight of all those sacrifices breaks him. Yeah. And he is genuinely scary in yeah. this sequence. Yeah. As he desperately, first desperately tries to go around and fix it. He, he goes to see Potter. Yeah. And begs Potter. Yeah. And one of the interesting things, even when he's desperate and he's begging Potter, he still doesn't throw Uncle Billy under the bus. No, right. He says, I lost it. And mm-hmm. Potter knows that he didn't lose it. Yeah. Potter knows. And he goes, you lost it? He's still being heroic, even at his most desperate moment. Mm-hmm. And Potter says to him, oh, you got this little money on insurance policy. I have some life insurance. $15,000 policy. Yes. Uh, how much is your equity in it? $500. $500. And you asked me to lend you 8000 Look at you. You used to be so cocky. You were going to go out and conquer the world. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you but a warped, frustrated young man? Miserable little clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little... Five hundred dollar equity in a life insurance policy. <laughs> You're worth more dead than alive. Oh, it's rough, right? Um, and so now George is falling completely apart, and he goes home. Yeah. And George Bailey with his family, and again, this is me with kids now. I always the scene was always amazing. Yeah. And now watching with kids, it's like man, because you get there as a parent. I'm sure you get there where you're wiped out, and you snap at your kids, and you feel yourself doing it, and you see your kids being upset yeah. or crying and it's the pain in it dad how do you spell hallelujah how should i know what do you think i am a dictionary tommy stop that stop it janie haven't you learned that silly tune yet you play it over and over again now stop it stop it and this is again this is jimmy stewart who played this 22 year old guy mm-hmm. and now you see middle-aged jimmy stewart and he and the weight that's on him and the pain that's on him and he sees himself doing these horrible things right. and he can't stop himself and he's snapping at everyone you see mary's reaction to him and how she's trying to and she's very strong yeah in that sequence it is powerful well there's the unfair nature of it all and i think that's the subtext going on here is like i did all the right things yeah. Why would you, God, let this happen to me? I did all the right things. And mm. now look, here I am. This money is gone. 
Uncle Billy lost it. Now I'm going to go to jail for something I didn't even do when I was being nice to everyone and trying to save this damn town. And here I am in this position. And this is what sparks him to... to and then he has the fight on the phone. Like This is all yeah. uncharacteristic of George. He goes and gets in, drunk. He goes and gets drunk at Martini's. Gets this, punched out by this... Guy. Right, by the guy's teacher's wife. Yeah, yeah he's, he's horrible, horrible to her teacher. on the phone. Yeah. Horrible. So that's what you be, That's what I mean. Is like we need, we know from the beginning that George is a heroic character, but he has this darkness to him. He has this anger within him because of the trapped nature of his life, and it comes out really full bore when he finally conceives of the fact that he might be going to jail and he has no other options because he thinks no one will help him because he thinks everyone's poor. He thinks no one wants to step up. Well, and, he's been the hero. Yes, he's always helped everyone else. Right. He doesn't know how to ask for help. That's right. Well, and this is the thing about Capra. And we talked about it in Mr. Smith. It's like, yeah, Mr. Smith is an idealized character, but the world of Mr. Smith is corrupt. Yeah. Jimmy Stewart, George Bailey, uh, he's a hero, but life is hard. Yeah. You know, like I like this movie to me is that there's the great John Lennon line, you know, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Yeah. And this movie is that. Yeah. Is that he's making plans all the time and life never goes the way he wants. And he's always making the right decision. He's always making the sacrifice. Yeah. He's always being heroic. And rather than it lifting you up, which we that's how we think of heroism, yeah. it is beating you down. Yeah. And he and by this moment, he is a broken man mm -hmm. and he is ready to go kill himself. And that is again. You think this movie is corny and sentimental? You can think that. This movie goes to the suicide. Yeah. We're we're having the most heroic character in the film ready to jump off a bridge, and in comes Clarence, Henry yeah. Travers. Yeah. It's really great. So great. This is Guardian Angel. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's charming and funny and sweet. And, of course, we know because we met them at the beginning as the stars that this is really an angel. Right. And this is where this is a fantasy movie. Mm -hmm. You know, we go into magical land <laughs> and we go to see what would the world be like if George Bailey had never been born. Right. Yeah. So dark, man. Yeah. And so uh but you it needs to be. And this is where you have the shades of Christmas Carol. What, what with an angel or a ghost comes to show him what his future could have been like or what the future of this town could have been like without him. He goes to show him what his effect on the world is as opposed to in Scrooge, it's showing him what his effect on the world could be. Right. This is a reverse in the way he's showing what effect on the world, how the world would be worse without him, and how the world, uh, his his town would be terrible without all these people would be so sad. Mr. Gower would be convicted because he killed that he killed child, that and uh, you have all this stuff. Martinis like not is a mean he's guy, not, and, and, and uh, he doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. And what's his face who owns the bar? Nick. Nick is like this rude guy, but who's you, always playing heavy. That is you no. know who it is. That's Sheldon Leonard. Okay. Sheldon Leonard, who uh, is the creator of The Brady Bunch. What? All these TV shows. Yeah, huge. Uh, I Spy. All these uh, TV what? shows. Nick? That's Sheldon Leonard. How yeah. funny. Big, big Hollywood television producer. How after funny. This. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so you, yeah, so you have the world, and Mary's an old maid. His oh, no. Sherwin Schwartz is Brady Bunch. Sheldon Leonard's a bunch of other stuff. Okay, okay, yeah. Producer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we'll cut that out then. Maybe. But, like, uh, Mary's an old maid. His mom is running a boarding house. Billy's in the insane asylum, like you mentioned earlier. Yeah. All these negative Potter's well, Field the, is now this like barren place. Yeah. Harry's dead because he didn't pull him out of the water. And all the people that because Harry became yep, a war hero, that's right? So all the people he saved, they're dead too. Yeah. And uh, Violet has become she's oh yeah, working she's at a basically dance a hall. prostitute. It sure seems that way. Yeah. And Pottersville, which is no longer it's no longer Bedford Falls, right. is a dark, scary place. Yeah. And this is like, wow. Yeah. 
But we don't see Potter, which is always, always they yeah. see interesting in this sequence. We never see Potter like sitting on bags of money or something like right. Scrooge McDuck or something. He, we never see him. It's just the, the aspect of Potter is overwhelms everything else, you know? And then we get to that sequence where he has the fight with Billy. Bert and Ernie show up. Even Bert and Ernie are like right. darker versions. Yeah, Ernie, his wife is gone. Yeah. And Bert, yeah. And, and you know, they, they're pulled guns on him. It yeah. gets really, it's genuinely scary. <laughs> it really and it, yeah, yeah, it gets to a really desperate, terrifying place. Mm-hmm. And you break, and George runs back to the bridge. And after this really intense sequence, and man, Jimmy Stewart breaking down the bridge, it's some beautiful acting. Help me, Clarence! Get me back! Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Get me back to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I, it is the vulnerability of him and the, you know, it's like... When he says, I want to live again, it's so incredibly powerful. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, you see, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. So yeah. this is, by the way, <laughs> if you're wondering what these pauses are, <laughs> this is me and John. It's getting emotional. <laughs> getting, yeah. It's because it's yeah. you could see his heart, mm-hmm. it, everything in it. Yeah. It's right there. Yeah. And, and he says, I want to, and he's, you know, the, I always have, I always love the image of the fists digging into the eyes for the tears. Because oh, he says, I want to live again. Because he is, he is basically putting his knee down or he's bowing before his Lord saying, I'm sorry for have doubted you. I'm sorry for having, you know, like, I'm sorry. And I want to live again. And I understand now you've shown me what I need to see. And it's so powerful. And, but you still get resilient, Jimmy, when Bert shows up. Now, Bert, I'm, I'm a sluggy. I mean, yeah. you know, because he thinks he's still back in that timeline. Right. And then the, and ex- the snow, and the, the, the snow, snow coming, comes, right. And his lip is bleeding. Yeah. And, and he, the exaltation that he has right. is so amazing. And him running through the town and, and it's finally for the first time in his entire life, George Bailey accepts his life. Bert, what do you know about that? Merry Christmas! Well, Merry Christmas. Merry! Merry! Yay! It's because he knows how important he is. Yeah. And because he feels the love he feels the the love the universe is reflecting back to him. Yeah, you know, in, in this profound way, and and even if nothing else, even if he just went to jail, yeah. he's a happy man. Yeah, and then and by the way, they debated the endings. They had other endings that really? didn't have all the Ooh, people God. coming in with the money. What? Yep, yep. I, and I don't remember exactly what they were, but they had. They finally decided that's the right ending. And you get to this moment, which is one of the great. I'm going to try to say this, yeah. without crying. <laughs> yeah, when Harry comes in. Mm-hmm. I'm still, yeah, of you course. can hear it, man. See, this movie's going to mess. So this is an unusual podcast. There's a lot. You know, right. I, We're I, real often, people. I often joke that I don't have a heart or have emotions. <laughs> they might, there might be in there somewhere. Right. When Harry comes in and says, To my big brother, George, the richest man in town. <laughs> yeah. Every time. Yeah, every time. Every time. And what it is, and, I know, and I'm going gonna, gonna to save myself by talking about filmmaking. Yeah. It's going to get me back a little bit, is that, this is why reaction shots are where emotions are. Yeah. Because it's not the line. The line is great. Yeah. It's watching Jimmy Stewart's face fall. Yeah. And take that in. Yeah. That's amazing. As he's taking in the love of the town. Do you know what I'm saying? Like really seeing how much they love him. Not financially. It's that they all rallied 
to save him. And this, once again, is what you said earlier, Steve, the idea that Capra, we are strong. It's, we're stronger together. We're stronger together. Not, I'm not trying to make any political statement. That's just what his, his mantra is throughout all his films, is that we are stronger as a society when we work together. And that, at the end, is all those people coming forward to thank him because they all realized how much George Bailey had affected their They'd always been appreciative, but they never thought George needed help. They always saw George as a strong guy who could handle whatever came down the pike because he was so giving and loving and caring. And when he has the break, everyone runs and steps forward. I mean, I love the line, even the, the maid who runs in and, or their housekeeper who runs in and she's like, I've been saving his money if I ever get a divorce, if I ever get a husband. It's all funny. The, the guy... That was really good, by the well, way. Well, I impression. love her. It's one of my favorite lines. Well, and she's great, by the way. As an African-American character, yeah. there is nothing... I won't say... She, is, she fits into a, uh, a role that was frequently played mm-hmm. by African-American women. She's a maid, yeah. But she's or 100% a member of the family. There's yeah. nothing demeaning about her. Yeah. She's respected. She's intelligent. She's funny. Yeah. I mean, they, she loves mom. She's an equal in she's the whole. Equal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, when they're at the wedding, he's like, she's like there with uh, with Jimmy Stewart's mom. Like, it's all there. And you, you know? just get the sense they're best friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And when, I mean, I love the kid, uh, the, the the bank examiner ripping up the stuff. Oh, that's great. And then the, the principal dropping the watch and all of that yep. is just symbolic, you know? So you say yeah. you don't want to get political, but right. I got to get a little political. Okay, here. sure. Because the other thing <laughs> that, you know, one of the things that changed this movie for me was having kids. Yeah. Watching it this time, we've just been through a really tough election. Yeah. And I keep thinking about values and I sure. keep thinking about what I believe in, how much George Bailey is so much of my values. Yeah. And the argument with Potter, that's the argument we're having today. Yeah. You know, he's in essence and, Trump. That's a, you can't deny that. I mean, the, the the this is a greedy, self obsessed guy yep. who believes that people who are poor and immigrants are scum, yep. and that any help given towards them is a waste, yep. and that they'll just take advantage. And right. George Bailey believes that people, when given a chance, can succeed, and yep. that people deserve to have a house and a roof, and they deserve to not have to crawl mm-hmm. to the wealthy. To and so, yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's a good point, Steve. You know, I mean, I, I don't think we can talk about this movie without talking about, you know, a man who is, you know, you talk about the 1% and the 99%, yeah. mm-hmm. and George Bailey is a fighter for the 99%. Absolutely. That and, is and, what he believes in. And Extension Capra is, too, because that's what he Absolutely. was all about. Miss Smith Goes to Washington does that as well, yeah. And something I learned, I can't believe that this is true, uh, redacted FBI documents from J. Edgar Hoover yeah. uh, show that or have statements about this film being a loosely veiled communist, <laughs> you know, and that it attacks bankers and businessmen and that it's uh, and you wonder when Capra's career went south. We talked about in Mr. Yeah. Smith that he was brought before the house on, or not brought before the house on American activities, but he's investigated. Yeah. And, you know, and here's like this most American of filmmakers yeah. and this movie that has what to me are core American values. Mm-hmm taking care of the other person, working together, helping out the poor. Like these are like what, you know, community and mm-hmm. family and honesty and sacrifice. And that's American. And this is during a democratic administration because Truman is in pre- Truman's Truman is a president. Truman's president. 46. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just an interesting situation. Yeah. And I think we're going, we're, I think the next four years, we're going to have movies like this more and more. 
I think we're going to have a we're going to have a callback to movies like this again, and there will be these kind of characterizations. There'll be these kinds of small guy against the big corporation type stuff. I think it's all going to happen even more so now. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if people start getting investigated all over again. I would not be surprised. Right. At all. And who we need are George Bailey's. Yes. We need people who believe in community and believe in caring for each other yep. and believe in doing the right thing and not necessarily and doing the right thing means not necessarily doing the right thing. For yourself. Right. And this is something else I wanted to talk about is that this movie is so unique because the classic Hollywood paradigm is the kid who has the dream. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's that you want to build rockets like in October Sky. Or maybe it's that you want to like Moana that just came out. And you, you you know, the family says that you got to stay here and rule the island. And she goes, no, I have this destiny to go out on the sea. Or it's the Little Mermaid. I mean, all the Disney movies are like this. Is that, or or it's the kid who wants to be the artist or the painter or the singer or the writer or they want to go do something else. And their family saying, no, you have to be in the coal mine. You have to stay at home. You have to be responsible. And the Hollywood message is always... Follow your dreams. Yep. That is always the Hollywood message. And this is a movie where it is turned on its head. Yeah. Is that he doesn't follow his dreams. Well, he can't. He could. He, well, he could. Right. Are you right. look at his like, Mo- nature to be able to do it. Right. I mean, it's it's not like uh, Poseidon and sure, Little sure. Mermaid doesn't have reasons why she should stay there. Right. You know, it's not like the people that are, you know, the family in October Sky needs him to be a coal miner. Right. They all have pressures of why they should do this thing. And Hollywood says, follow your dreams. Right. And I think part of the reason for that is Hollywood is created by people who followed their dreams and succeeded. Yeah. And the people that followed their dreams and didn't succeed, they don't tell their stories. Right. You know, which is the majority, by the mm-hmm. way. In fact, the, the usually following your dream doesn't work out this way. Right. And this movie says, no, do the right thing. Yeah. Don't follow your dreams. Right. And that is really profound, you know. Mm-hmm. And as a guy now who's 48, who expected to be a big time Hollywood director yeah. and is now learning to like, no, I need to take care of my family. Right. Be a responsible person. That's that's more and finding more joy in those things, to be honest. Yeah. It's like going, oh, this movie is so much more mature. Right. Than Hollywood. Well, this is the point I want to make, Steve, to follow up what you're saying here, what you just said. You're finding the joys in this, right? And that's exactly there, and that's what George Bailey does, which is why he's running through that town and, and saying hello to everything all over again. Because yes, he had dreams, but his purpose was bigger. His purpose you know, what would it matter that he spent six months traveling the world in exchange for the years he spent saving so many people's lives? And making their lives better and making his life better with these great kids and this beautiful wife and this nice town. And he finally embraces it because this is a dream he didn't know he wanted. And now it's come true. Right. And he embraces the dream of it all and loves it so much more. And his life has meaning. Yes. Deep, deep meaning. Right. That's maybe, and, and, and no, it's not the meaning he thought it was going to be. Right. You know, it's like there's that great, in a, in a different way, Fight Club deals with this because of that great speech of, We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. And this is sort of another side of that. It's yeah. like, was George capable of building great buildings and skyscrapers? Sure. Probably. Yeah. Would that have done as much as he did for Bedford Falls? You know, who knows? And would he have had Mary, right, and his kids, right, and these people that love him? And how much of a life of quiet desperation would he have led? Would he have led being a slave yeah. to people like Potter, who are the ones funding these buildings yeah. that he's going to build, right? Yeah. And and then raising the rates on the buildings that he's going to build, and raising the rent, and raising all this kind of stuff. Like, there's all this indirect stuff that could have occurred, and whereas as ripples in a pond, whereas him staying in the town is ripples in a pond that are positive all around. Well, and, and, and the value of being a good person yeah. is maybe more important than the value of being 
a dream. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, whether that's rich or famous or whatever it is. Sure. You know, because the only rich guy we see is Potter. Yeah. And Sam Wainwright, I guess. But yeah, we don't know what level of rich he is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. So, John, final thoughts on It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, I mean, it's such a personal film for me. It's real deep in my heart, and I love it to pieces, and I watch it all the time. It always makes me cry always uh makes me get back in touch with the idea of fighting for the little guy and feeling that power and also about doing the right thing like it's really important not not doing the right thing for you doing the right thing period which is not always easy and i think it's so fantastic it's a nice timepiece of a film of that time in the 40s but also that echoes as all great films do decades later and still powerful today even more so now given our current situation our political climate and so that's why this movie just keeps coming people keep coming back and the christmas nature of it all i mean if you look at it the gifts only come at the end of the movie and it's money there's no like real gifts under the the gift is your life and that's what's powerful that's what the movie tells you your life is the gift is the most ultimate christmas gift you can have do with it what you need to do to bring joy to other people with your gift yeah, I, I think that's the most interesting thing is that it's not a Christmas movie because it's about Christmas. Right. I mean, yes, the final scene takes place on Christmas Eve yeah. and there's a tree, but it's not about – it's a Christmas movie or, you know, in the sense of a, what I would call the spirit of Christmas. Yeah. You know, and this is a Jewish guy who grew up celebrating Christmas, right. but but like is that in the deep sense of what what is it, it is to be a good human. Yeah. And it isn't – being a good human because it's easy. Right. It's constantly seen it's hard. Yeah. You're going to have some old man hit you in the ear. That's yeah. what it is to be a good human. Right. You're going to have to give up your dreams and run the building alone. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. You're going to have to let your brother go live the life that he wants to live with the woman that he loves, and you're not going to get that. Yeah. It means that you're going to have to give up your honeymoon. It means that you're not going to have nice things and nice. It's not gonna, it means that you're not going to live up to the potential that you think and build the things that you think you're capable of doing. Right. It means you're going to make all those sacrifices, and it also means at the same time you're going to build relationships and family and you're going to matter yeah. in a way that you know all of our lives actually matter yeah like the goodness you do to others the friendships you create the love you spread that matters yeah and maybe it matters in a way that we can't see all the time because you know what life is pretty hard yeah life hurts a lot yeah all the time you know and george bailey hurts a lot mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean he didn't have a wonderful life right yeah all right. What a great thing to say. So uh, we would love to hear your comments. I hope this movie is as special to you as it obviously is to us. Yeah. Uh, you can reach us on Facebook. It's at the Cinephiles, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. If you want to reach me, you can reach me on Twitter at S.R. Morris. John, where can they reach you? Well, you guys can always reach me at the Roca Says, R-O-C-H-A, on Twitter and on Instagram. And I want to say to everyone who's listening to us, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Yeah. I hope you're enjoying your time with your family. Maybe you just watched the film again and you're listening to our podcast. Thank you. And hopefully we enriched the film for you even more now before you watched it or after you watched it. And then, and so thank you for taking us along with you if you're listening to us on, during this holiday time. And, you know, give your family that ex- little extra hug. Yeah, they can be aggravating. But, hey, you know, they're family and yeah. it matters. And that's part of your wonderful life. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that's it for this week. Please review us on iTunes. And we will see you next week and maybe next year on The Cinephiles. 